Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. The Everly Brothers? No. No, not the Everly Brothers. For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, Bobbo, and this is now. And yes, the show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey. No, we're not. And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me... For the first time, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether you like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. Uh, spoiler! Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here. I'm fine. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. And I did a little bit of Loki work in there. Okay, you know we're running out of time. Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say... Accept it. You've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is Supernatural, then and now. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. And I'm Richard Spate. And this is Season 1, Episode 20 of Supernatural, Dead Man's Blood. Ooh, grody. Yeah. This is the first one in a very strong finish of Season 1. A trio of episodes. I like to call the trilogy. I'd never called it the trilogy ever before. I, yeah, I didn't know what out. you were saying. You're like, this is the first <laughs> of the last one. I'm like, I'm really confused. There's this is more. the first of the last three episodes of a very strong season one. Yeah, very strong season one. A lot of people thought the show wasn't going to get picked up for a full season even, but it did. And then it continued on. And this was the last uh, three episodes, the first of the last three. What Rob likes to call the uh, ending trilogy, if you will. Right. A new hope. Of the final three episodes. (laughs) Oh, boy. I've lost myself now. All right. Let's get into it. All right. (laughs) Daniel Elkins is brutally murdered. Sam and Dean discover his contact information in Dad's journal. Not Danny. Yeah. Old Danny Elkins. Uh, How did they do? Did we know him before? No, I didn't. Okay. Because Sam's like, Pastor Elkins? Yeah, it was was one of those things where they just leap to this backstory. Yeah, Yeah, like we all know him. I thought I missed something, you know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, Well, the brothers head to the scene of the crime, Manning, Colorado. The boys find a letter intended for John Winchester, dad. For the kids at home, a letter is a piece of paper that somebody writes on, uh, a message, well-wishing, or a thank you card, or or just information. They fold that letter up, they put it in an Mm -hmm. envelope. It's called an envelope. They fax it to you. And they fax it? No, no, no. They no. don't fax it to you. They oh, actually wow. lick the they they lick the back, oh, close it, okay. and put what's called a postage stamp on the front oh. and an address. What? Yeah, it's, it's already right. lost you. You're weirding me out. Um, all right. Well, before they can open this letter, John shows up. Yep, he's back, guys. Dad is back. And we learn that Daniel Elkins was a known vampire hunter and a mentor for John. He also had a special gun that could kill anything. That's cool. Even something supernatural. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Cool gun. John explains that Elkins was killed by vampires and now they have the gun. John wants the gun because he believes he's close to tracking down the demon that killed mom. 
Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, that demon. The demon we've been... It's all coming together, guys, in this trilogy. So this is uh, it, season one, and then there's the show's over, because they're going to wrap it all up. I hope... I will. If they're alive, I don't even know. The vampires have recently captured a couple, and the trio is able to track them down to an old barn. Why is it the vampires are always in an old barn? No, no, no new construction for the vampires, you know what I mean? No, they love old barns. They mm. just love old barns. They like chickens and things that live in old barns. They're fans of antiques. So they track down the couple, and they enter with machetes, intending to behead the vampires, because that's how you kill them. That's what Dad said. For for those who are fans of uh, Rob and Rich's podcast, we don't mean they enter with a bunch of J.C. Hayes's. These are not- <laughs> That's right, that's right. Not the machete- <laughs> She doesn't enter. Right. No. By the way, the vampires were thanking their lucky stars that JC didn't come in there because that no, machete was in no that's mood. True. Yeah, they should have done that. No, this is machete with a lowercase m. So Sam attempts to save the captured woman, but she's already turned into a bloodsucker and yells out a scream, alerting the nest of vampires to the Winchester's presence. Yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah, it was a big bummer. Dean goes to steal some dead man's blood from the morgue. Like you do. Yeah, like you do, which you may not know is actually a poison to vampires. Uh, So it leads the scene to John to have a sit down with Sam. They're at the cabin preparing. They have a real heart to heart. Later that evening, they set a trap for the vampires. Dean fakes car trouble and they are able to capture Kate, the lead female vampire, to use as bait for Luther, her lover, and the, the king vampire, the head, the lead vampire. John wants to exchange her for the gun. During the exchange, a fight ensues. John is able to get the gun, but Sam gets captured by Luther. John shoots Luther in the head. The other vampires run to escape. John and the boys agree they're stronger as a family, and they go to hunt Mary's killer together. Uh, Well, Richard. I'm diving right into this review. What a great episode. What a great episode. Oh, man. I'm on the edge of my seat for all three of these episodes that are coming up. If I haven't said that already. This three, the one you call the trilogy? This is, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. It's so violent. For starters, you got to love when dad and and the boys are together. Like, it's just good TV. And not only is it good, it's great acting. There's such great chemistry between those guys and the testosterone between them. I mean, just the the manhood that oozes from the screen when those three are together, huh? For anybody who's got the stopwatch on how deep into the podcast we get before Rob says the word manhood, you can stop your watches right there. It's a new record. Sigh. But you know what? Here's the thing. Am I wrong? I, I, no, I mean, you're always right. When it comes to manhood, but <laughs> here's what I'm going to say. They're so, like, the story is so good now with those guys getting mad at each other, like, unraveling the past, I guess what I'm getting at. Like, the father-son mm-hmm. dynamics are just coming out in big, big ways in this episode, and it's really cool. Yeah, really cool. And, and and you know, you really, uh, you get to dive into the psychological dynamic between Sam and his dad, which, you know, we really haven't addressed yet. That's what's so satisfying about this finale of this season. Season is like we haven't addressed these things before and we get to see a lot of this stuff come back up and uh yeah that's a big one now you yeah. had you had said before you had said that you thought that dad liked dean the best but in this one it kind of explains a little bit more i think why his relationship with sam is just different it's different and i and i'm not sure that i my opinion is the same after watching this He's really hard on Dane, man. Like, he's bitching about the car. He's like, I wouldn't have given you the car if I knew you were going to let it rust. Yep. And Dean is that same way to Sam. Yeah. And then Sam yeah. is a real, why are we doing this? You know, he, he's a big mm-hmm. authority questioner, unlike mm-hmm. Dean, who's a, you know, I captain. We'll do, we'll do as instructed type guy. It's a really mm-hmm. interesting dynamic, the triangle dynamic between them all. And how Dean yeah. gets so annoyed with Sam for pushing back against dad. And then you yeah. notice that shift when finally Dean goes, yeah, you know what? I think Sam's right. Like there's, and you like Sam yep. 
pivots, like whips his head, like, holy cow, you're going to agree with me? You know, yep. it was nice to see the brothers unite uh, for what they thought was the right thing to do in the face of the dad. And yeah. what makes this, to me, what makes these episodes so well written and so well thought out and planned is that the dynamics between the three men that we're talking about, the dad and the two sons, are so layered. It's not clear cut like mm-hmm. dad's a hard ass and the boys mm-hmm. have to fend for themselves. Ergo, they develop these personalities. Like mm-hmm. dad's dad's got real reasons to be hard on the boys, at least reasons he believes in, mm-hmm. you know, that are for the boys' mm-hmm. safety, to solve this mm-hmm. issue that has plagued his family. Mm-hmm. He wants the boys with him, but he wants the boys not with him because he wants them to be safe. Like it's so complex. It's so mm-hmm. well done. No, it really is. It really is really well done, really well written. Uh, but yeah, you're you're exactly right. There's there's an individual uh, energy, unique energy going on between each of the three in the triangle, right? Uniquely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's real something to watch. So this that scene between uh, Sam and, and Dad, I thought was great. Yeah, it was a funny little note. Like it's very uh, just the clothing of 2006 was kind of funny to me. You know, the baggy jeans, the long jackets. Just, yeah. just the note how the wardrobe changed a little bit with the times. I did notice. Um, that, I did notice the sort of the the flared jeans are a funny little mm-hmm. nod to yeah. the times. You know what I thought was yeah, interesting? Yeah. Like, spe- if we want to get specific about this episode that I thought was trippy, two things. Number one, they really leaned heavily on the Lost Boys image of vampires. You know what I mean? The, yeah, uh, totally. Cool. The, the Jason Patrick, uh, Jamie Gertz, yep. Kiefer Sutherland, Lost yep. Boys movie of the of the 80s or 90s. It was the 80s, uh, late 80s. Late 80s, late 80s, yeah. Yeah, so they, I feel like they had an updated version of that where it was called very, very rock and roll vampire, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, definitely. And I thought that... Uh, it was trippy. Rob, I, I truly want to know if you noticed this. So remember the, when Sam thinks he's rescuing the, the woman who's held captive and she screams? Remember that? Uh, they, he, got the, he breaks into the barn and he's safe. Oh, they, yes, and, yes, and they, yes. Oh, and she screams as a vampire. Right. And we, yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. think that he's, he thinks he's saving her, that she's not yes, a vampire yet. Yes, yes, yes. Did you notice that they didn't show her face when she screamed? Did you? Yeah. I, I thought that was weird. Like they never cut to her face it, to me, that was a shot you would have of like her kind of asleep right. and looking and then go, ah, and see that turn of her. Maybe they got shrieking. a different voice to do it or something and it, sounded, it looked too weird. I, I wondered. Like, it, it, you yeah. know, I feel like there's always a story behind because that's obviously a shot. This is a well directed episode by a mm-hmm. veteran director. That's definitely a shot that exists. I, did you notice it? Now that I tell you, do you notice it? Uh, you now remember? that you say it, I remember it. Yeah, I didn't think it at the time. It struck me as really weird because it was like, it was, yeah. it was such that moment of right. like, the Donald Sutherland invasion of the body snatchers moment where you think you're right. talking to somebody who sure. is of your mindset and then you realize, oh right. no, they're possessed. Uh, yeah. It was just, I, I, I thought for sure that was, we were missing something there. Yeah. Uh, the other note uh, like that that I would make up about this episode is I loved dad's j- jacked up truck. Like yeah. I loved the whole thing of everything that was going on there. And the his, they don't even comment on it, but his trunk that's like, <laughs> he's got the like <laughs> high level trunk with all the best weapons. Yeah. Drawers come out. You need a machete, like a, dad? I'm like a, good, sta- son. a staircase leading to another level. Yeah, exactly. That's like a <laughs> it's like a British double decker bus of, of weaponry. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I give it. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give it a a full 100 percent the best beard you've seen. Yeah, not too groomed, but just groomed enough. Yeah, I'm going to the 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 full the Jason Mans the full beard. Very very solid yeah. growth, thick growth. No nothing patchy. Yeah, a uniform in yeah. color. You know, good beard. Yeah. So here's a question or an admission I should make. I did not know until we've been sitting here. So we're in episode 20 of 22, season one. 
And I'm confessing mm. for the first time, I didn't realize how much Jeffrey Dean Morgan was in this series. Oh, really? I thought he had popped in for the pilot and maybe popped in for the finale. He's in and out this whole season. I had no idea. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that, and I knew we lose him early. But uh, man, I, not. I wasn't sure exactly what it was. But yeah, no, this is a cool little run here at the end. Yeah, it's a good role. It's yeah. good, good, yeah. Uh, good. You know, much more involved than I thought. He's such a heavy hitter. You know, it's cool to tell people like, well, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan was on our show. You know, he's such a well-respected guy. Oh, yeah. He's uh, had a heck of a career post-Supernatural. Yeah. Speaking of uh, of guys who've had uh, just uh, stellar careers. Yeah. We have a very, very, very special guest on our show today. Uh, first assistant director and co-producer Kevin Parks. That's right. He worked on 142 episodes of Supernatural. Let's say that again. 142 episodes of Supernatural. That's a boatload of episodes of television, man. That really, really, really is. Uh, even directing two episodes in 2013. Awesome. Other TV credits include Millennium, Andromeda, Highlander, Superman and Lois and Day of the Dead. Ladies and gentlemen, freshly tanned from his trip to the Caribbean, Kevin Parks. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Kevin is responsible. Just to break it down in Robbie terms, Kevin is the man that kept the set together. He kept it operating, kept it intact. He was the glue. He's the first AD, and his job is to keep those two animals, numbers one and two, in place at the right time and keep everyone else in place. And he did that for us for many, many, many years. And he's a mainstay from the beginning. Absolutely. But that leads us to say, what is your beginning? Like, what was your entree into Supernatural? How'd you get involved with the show? I was basically looking for work. My wife came back from a lunch, uh, finishing off wrapping a show. She heard that George Grieve, who was the first PM on the show, had a new show. So I called George. And I went down to the office. Cyrus was there. Remember Cyrus? Sure. Mm -hmm. Basically, it wasn't really an interview. It was, okay, you're starting uh, and you're doing the first episode. Wow. <laughs> One of the easiest jobs I probably ever got. And now, did you always alternate episodes? Yes. Uh, they did that from the beginning. There's always been two first ADs. Who was the mm -hmm. other first AD when you started? Was it Johnny Mac? No, it was Greg Fawcett. I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't remember Greg. He didn't last until he lasted probably episode eight. Uh oh. Then Blair Freeman Roth, uh, Roth came in for a couple episodes and Johnny Mac started right after Christmas. Oh, wow. So here's my question. You say that they, they gave you the, the job, like sitting in the chair in the office uh, meeting with Cyrus. Obviously, you're a man with a, a great resume and you're a, a catch, but were they under the gun? I mean, meaning like, were they starting the next day? You, it, it sounds like it was a quick process, quick turnaround. Well, I mean, I've, I've worked with George Grieve, the PM, a lot. So I, we had a relationship. So when I called them and they're looking first, it's like it was kind of for him a no brainer. And listen, we, so we break this down a little bit sometimes for people who watch or listen to the podcast because they don't know all the behind the scenes lingo. So you're saying UPM. Unit production manager. And what was he? What would that entail him doing? He basically looks for crew that the, he knows can trust. And basically with people who follow him from show to show because they know how he works. And that's his job is basically, is basically hiring the crew and getting all the deals done. So we, when they go to production, we have a full crew. Does that crew include hair and makeup? Yeah, hair and makeup, everybody. Everybody. As Rob was sort of describing the Robbie version of the AD, how would you describe the AD job yourself? It's a project, in, in real world speak, it's a project manager. You take the script apart, you make the schedule out of it with the input from the director. And we'll also we need to, to worry about with the uh, financial end and how much time and money we have to do. And then you make the schedule. And then from there, you go with the director and basically execute the schedule on set by basically every day making sure 
we have what we need for each sequence. That's definitely a more uh, intricate version than the story that I told. They, bo- they both work. They both work. Well, I don't know if they do. I don't know if mine really works. It's nice to have a professional. The film industry has a lot of anachronisms, like first AD, second AD, you know, DOP, all this. So it's like, you know, for anybody in the real world, it's a, it's a project manager. You know, right. they all come in different forms through different things, construction to entertainment, to doing computer programs, to do anything. They're all, they all kind of entail a different kind of idea, you know? Sure. So... We're, we're talking about uh, episode Dead Man's Chest. Blood, isn't it? Dead Man's Blood. <laughs> Dead Man's Blood, not to be mistaken for Dead Man's Chest, which I believe is... Listen, I can tell you, it, just for everybody, here's, here's why Rob just said that. Because Kevin looks real good. He's uh-huh. real tan, real fit. And his shirt is open a little bit. And Rob gets a little bamboozled when he sees skin. And so... <laughs> And I got Johnny Depp on my mind. I think that's a it's a pirate movie a pirate reference to the Caribbean uh, reference. Anyway, so Rob's anyway, a little flushed Dead Man's right now. Blood. So uh, <laughs> Dead Man's Blood. I've never heard this story, but supposedly production stopped due to a sniper scare. Is that true? Yeah, we shut Stanley Park down for about probably four hours. Uh, we were doing the whole sequence of the car where the vampires get uh, stopped by the car, and then we have to shoot a bunch of them with Dead Man's Blood and arrows and everything that with crossbows. Right. Somebody. In the park, saw one of our uh, one of our crew walking through. It looked like something like he was carrying a gun. So he wasn't carrying a gun. He was just carrying something in a cylindrical thing, you know, to set. Not knowing it was part of our crew or not, but you know, so all of a sudden we are still getting ready to set up, and all of a sudden the uh, emergency tactical team is starting to drive through Stanley Park, and we're starting to set oh up and everything. And basically, we are shut down for a while because the um, the police shut the park down. They tell us to oh go and you know, we're not sure they think there's a gunman in Stanley Park. Oh my God! Um, they make they, they they tell us to get all of our crew back to a safe place, which is the where the circus was, which by the works yard. So we're all offset now. Right. And basically, at one point in time, they they find a vehicle that looks like something that might be a suspicious vehicle because it has a bunch of stickers that aren't really really making making his case very much. And then uh, they call me down, and it's like, no, I go, no, I know who the crew member is, and it's like, no, he's probably one of our more stable crew members. So uh, they kind of we call him. down. Down, they go to the vehicle and then they, they realize that there's no gunman in Stanley Park and we can start resuming filming by, by we by losing about about three hours at this point in time. That's a lot of time to lose. Especially wow. when we're doing a mix of day and night work. Yeah. Right. Tony Warnby was the director of that one. Tony was um from the BBC and a long time, you know, BBC director and you know came over, he he came he came onto the show because Kim brought him on because Kim worked with him on X Files. And he just took it by stride, you know, and got to work. He had to get got what he needed. We still had to we still had to carry some stuff because we um, we had to are getting to our back end curfew. We couldn't finish off all of it, so we kind of set kept some work which we re- rebuild in the studio uh, with a with a forest background. So we were able to you know reschedule a bit more later on in the studio to finish off the sequence. Hmm. Wow, that's crazy. That'll shake you up. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> it's insane. So, you know, we're, we're getting set up and all of a sudden all these vehicles are going through and you see the guys, these are the tactical unit with submachine guns and everything. So, oh, something's going on. <laughs> Unreal. Wow. That's, that's got to be kind of scary at first, you know, just that time between knowing that it's actually you that they're there for. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did have weapons on set, but the thing is the weapons basically are all taken at this point in time by uh, by an armorer so somebody from the Solicitor General's office. So it's like anything prohibited, we are we can have. It's just that there's, they're covered by somebody on set who's got the, all the paperwork for that. Right, right. I guess in a way it's a relief. Like if you hear there's a sniper and, you're like, and then you find out, oh, wait, it's us. 
at least that's uh you're no longer scared you know you have to go through the uh the, the proper steps and all that but sure yeah i mean i'm sure we made the uh uh the traffic report that day stanley park being shut down i'm sure a whole bunch of people didn't really like probably their you know their events being waylaid because of us but you know they i don't i don't know i don't know what the holy news story went through at that point in time they probably just said police incident in stanley park right so yeah, they- later in later in this in this in the run it might have been something that was reported we'll be right back You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Hey, guess what? We're We're back. back. And, and now, here's a question for you guys. So or this is, there's a lot of moving parts in this episode. And then, obviously at this point, you've done, what, 10 episodes as the first AD? On season one, yeah. There were, yeah. Say, 10 episodes from my 10 into it, yeah. So uh, this is sort of a recurring question we ask, but by now, is it a well-oiled machine? I mean, is it cruising at a pretty good clip in terms of production? 
we well a lot of the hiccups and kinky moments did get worked out so we stopped we stopped doing the the two meals a day kind of thing we stopped doing uh lunch and dinner and meals got the hours kind of contained down a bit more having some be, you know some good seasoned directors come in to help make help with that right the scripts were kind of curtailed down so they weren't getting too far out of hand with things maybe this is the this is past the mid-season pickup points so we already had the whole season so when we first started it was only supposed to be 13 episodes with the possibility of the back nine right so we're already into the back nine we're just about finishing off the, the first season so th- there's a bit of pressure off for that and now as well as trying to make sure we get season two at this point in time right mm-hmm. we didn't find that out until after we wrapped and just before, you know sometime in may that point in time and just to clarify one thing when when kevin talked about they were getting the schedule down where they didn't require two meals for those who don't know, you really don't want a second meal on set. That means your hours are going pretty long. You're hoping just to feed them once. Um, I mean, if you're an actor, you love it. It's another meal. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's trust me as the, as a, as a guy who's directed. The second they start talking about a second meal, you're like, oh, Boise, <laughs> I'm in the weeds. As a, as a as a guy who as a guy who never has, I'm going. Ooh, what's for dinner? <laughs> for dinner, yeah. I don't have to think. I don't have to think about where I'm going to go to dinner now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, that was we finished. We stopped doing all the, the two meals a day kind of thing uh, in like October or so or September. So it was getting, it was getting, we were getting better into that to keeping the hours contained um, and and just you know making sure we were able to get the gags properly how we want to do them safely. You know, right. And you mentioned you mentioned this director being a vet, you know, a veteran of the industry. So that sort of leads to uh, an answer I think you might give. But you have a lot of characters in this and, and a lot of effects, a lot of vampires in the vampire den. Did it get overly complex? I mean, some some scenes, some episodes of Supernatural were self-contained where it'd be, you know, Jared and Jensen and a priest talking. This one, you have a whole den of vampires. Did that make it more taxing and more challenging and a little more crazy? In prep, yes. Once we finally got to, because it was all dealing with the vampire teeth and, and getting people in from a vampire teeth. And it's all how many, how many performers, how many stunt people, how many actors are in the den. You know, our budget usually indicated, well, I think we got it down to, I think, like six vampires in there, but three of them were stunt people for the fights and everything. And there were a couple actors in there as well. It was more of the, the logistics on the day of making sure we could actually, you know, not have all, all our support vehicles too far away. Like when we were in the barn, that whole barn area, we had, it was all a shuttle too, all the time. Right. You know, we're, we're about five minutes away, which is actually in, in today's standard, close compared to what you got to do today in Vancouver. So you're talking about you 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 drive everyone to one location. That's where they get ready, get dressed, get makeup for the actors, and then you got to shuttle them to the actual location where you're shooting. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, with having Tony there, at least he was able to say, "I'm not going to see this part of the building," so we can actually put some work trucks behind something. Um, so we weren't always fully spread out. Like the you know, so the the barn was the, the most challenging one. And that's where the vampires lived, where they were sleeping in the the hammocks. It looked really cozy to me. Yeah, and then we had all the all the uh, uh, vintage cars out front too. So oh, that's yeah, a, cool. that's a practical location. None of that was a set. No, that's all practical. Was the was the room you know where Jeffrey Dean Morgan uh, goes into the room and throws a bottle at the window to to let in light on the alpha vampire or the head of the the clan. Was that a set or was that? Uh, I'm not to recall. I think that was a set we built for the separate room off the side. Yeah, it felt like a set to me only because of, the, because of that lighting gag. Because they had to throw the bottle through the window and have sunlight come in. Yeah, no, that that, um, that was... Spoken like a true director. <laughs> I was, I'm still like, what's for, what's for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're just like, hey, those actors got to take naps and hammocks. And there were a lot of second <laughs> exactly. meals. It's like your dream gig. It really is. <laughs> 
Rob, Rob wants a, a complete show where he gets, he gets fed twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and sleep all day. Um, and then so vampires, though, so that means lots of nights. Were there lots of nights? Was this a lot of night hours on this one? Uh, no, part of my job is also to make sure we can actually do things day for night. So we're not working all night. And my job is best to not do that. And we found some, like the barn location, we could, we tented, mm-hmm. got rid of a lot of the ambient light just by tenting. And also we could actually shoot a lot of interior before we go outside. So that's so great. That's and when so you're smart. tenting that, so just so folks know, so you took an actual barn and wrapped it, you know, in, in other material to create a, be able to control the light. So it looked like nighttime. What are you, you what material are you using or are, are the grips using for that? Uh, it's called Dubatine. It's a big, thick, thick black uh, material. That's also f- fire retarded. So at you know, a certain point you have, you can use it for close to flames. But yeah, that's basically the thick material. It just basically, it doesn't let any light in um, whatsoever. Gotcha. Right. Like right now I'm shooting an indie film and uh, it's all at night. And so we're working all night and it's a real track. And, you know, you talk about the coming, when we say well-oiled machine with Supernatural, we're talking about all parts. I mean, you go in and it's just like, you know, shooting day for night. You know, it's everything's very efficient. You know, there's a team that's thinking, okay, how can we get this in a certain number of shots? You know, before we go into the location like that, our rigging, we have an entire rigging crew that is basically, they are a step ahead of us the whole time to basically, they do the tenting before we get there. So they're all done. The, the electric, the lights are already set. So we walk in, there's not as long a lag time to get going uh, for us to suddenly, you know, wait, wait for everybody to basically tent the, tent the bird, the barn, and, you know, put some lights in the ceiling. Right. Yeah. Um, with something like, do you remember the Colts, the Colt, uh, montage of the making of the Colt gun, mm-hmm. uh, weapon, um, would something like that, do you remember, was that a second unit shoot or was that? that? That whole thing was originally never in the script. That whole montage of, it was basically Jeffrey Dean, dad comes out that we see the first, this is the first time we see the pickup truck with all the guns and everything. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, the first so time he pulls up in the truck. That whole montage wasn't in this original script. It was only after they cut it together, put assembled it together, and uh, noticed that it was a long time talking without any imagery changing. So we were basically in one episode ahead of that point in time or two, and they called my wife in to come and basically, you know, shoot some montage bits. But you know, we basically just threw it together in the morning. In the afternoon, Jill showed up and they gave her a camera. Gave her, we, had a, we had a guy playing Samuel Colt, which we didn't see his face because Samuel Colt came later back in, in, in a future episode. Oh, wow. And then uh, Jill just basically set up everything with, the, with, with you know, having the Colt there, having uh, the guns um, and the bullets and everything, and, and having a lighting effect in the forge and everything. So, you know, so she was only expected to come in as a just an additional camera operator thinking we're going to just shoot some stuff. Well, she ended up having to basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, deep direct of photography and light it and basically kind of direct a bunch of sequences out of that. Wow. So Jill McLaughlin, your, yes. wife, your wife shot all the cult footage in that. That's awesome. All that, all that footage, which actually made that sequence really well, uh, well done. Yeah. And did she come back? Did she come back and do more? Yeah, she did some stuff. She did some stuff with tall tales. She basically worked, you know, for the first four seasons kind of worked with us. And then after that, she started going to do, do more other shows. So uh, she was basically involved for the first four years. It's awesome. Were, the, were you husband and wife at that point? Oh, yeah. We've been we've been married since 96. We just had a 25th anniversary okay. last year. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations. I wasn't sure if it was like magic on set happening, romance on well, set. Well, I mean, when is there magic not happening on set? You know what I mean? We, we met on a show <laughs> called Comrades of Summer back in the early 90s. Then we re-met on the X-Files uh, rap party. Uh, wow. For season one. Give you a new name to, for the X-Files, huh? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Make it a little dirty. 
Um, so here's a question. It might be a sore subject, but did, did she have, when she was shooting that footage, was there a different AD working with her? And was that awkward for you to see another Ooh. AD over there? Yeah. Uh, no, my, my second at the time, Kit was basically... Um, oh, he- Kit, hands Kit, they call him. <laughs> Kid, 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 kid kind of manned that. Jerry built some stuff for it, and uh, Jill came in and basically, you know, shot it. Well, it's a good thing Kit kept his act together, kept it classy. <laughs> kept his hands Jill, in his pockets. Jill would have, Jill would have t- taken him out with a 50 mil conk. That's true. To the back of the um, head. So, you know, one of the things, Kevin, that I really like about this episode is it's uh, really the first time we see the boys and dad go on a mission together, and you almost start to think, Oh, maybe this is going to be the show, you know, sort of these three superheroes going on these missions together. How did the dynamic change when thinking about the three of them versus just Jared and Jensen? And- in terms of dynamics, it didn't really change much. It was basically brought in, in the story wise, it brought more the idea of the of the animosity between Sam and dad. Yeah. Also, the yeah. basically the Dean and Dad uh, interactions. There was also the one point in, uh, on the road where they're racing down, and all of a sudden the, the Impala pulls over to stop, and they get into a confrontation. Yeah. That, that brings time. up a whole bunch of Sam Sam issues right there. Yeah. And now in terms of offset, how was it more difficult because the three of them kind of hung out? Was it hard to wrangle them together? No, they were fine at this point. Dad, he was very professional in terms of keeping on track with them, and their relationship was growing between the three of them. Cool. It wasn't until it wasn't until the season finale that it was basically kind of like you know kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always been a challenge for you because we all on that set we all got along really really well, which causes us to goof around and goof off. And Ugh. Kevin's got to keep us in track. Rob trying to lengthen the day, waiting for that second meal. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you this: There's, I know there's a lot of like the vampire teeth are a big deal later in the show. In the as the seasons moved on, they would do digital teeth growth and that kind of thing they had a visual effect here of the teeth coming in yeah the well that, that again that's a before and after so you, you have you have the real teeth and, and they also the vampire teeth changed throughout the years they never were always the same i mean it's like the, it, i don't know that was more of a creative uh why they kept changing but we always tried to get a little more lower profile uh, through the later later parts so people can actually speak with the teeth in which was right. a challenge but no the, the there's always if we wanted to see the teeth grow there was a shot set aside for the teeth growing. So it's like basically you, show, you shoot a close-up with them smiling with no teeth in, pause, you put the teeth in, and visual and the visual effects make the teeth grow. Amazing. Wow. Were they using um, the blood effects? Because there's a lot, like that girl's like bleeding herself and then making out the other girl with the blood. Like, is any of that, obviously some of that's practical, but with any of the blood, visual effect blood, I mean, or, or at this point, was everything practical because it was so long ago in the process? At this point in time, the blood, the blood, all any, anything blood was real blood. We didn't get it because, again, we all our visual effects at this point were, the biggest thing happened in season one, the visual effects were shipped off to a visual effects house. Right. So everything was basically you know, a lot more expensive. In season two, we brought all the visual effects in-house. So that's when we had the trailers off the side of the studio with all our animators in there and the, and the visual effects. So the visual effects, we were able to do more in seasons two and onward. But season one, no, there was all the blood was real. It's either been a blood pump or we cut and you put blood in their mouth and they, they you know, they do what they have to with uh, with them, which I'm sure you two as actors would know. Because it really tastes really well to have fake blood in your mouth right right no not so much not the best there were other um there's like deep beheadings going on lots of those yeah and that that's just a quick uh camera 
cut, right? You see a sword go down and then... Uh, no, it's, a, it's in terms of like film, it's a, it's a lock off the camera. Uh-huh. You basically put the person, you know, and this is where Jared and Jensen are really good with uh, map, uh, re, uh, repeating everything they do. Uh-huh. You do a, a plate with the person there with, the, with Jared or Jensen behind them. They swing up to the point of taking the hit in the next stop. Then the uh, person, you take them out and just shoot their plate clean. Then take the vampire out, put our guys back in, and they do the whole swipe through with the, the uh, machete. And then visual effects will do to take the head off in uh, in post. Wow, wow. You know, sometimes yeah. it's, it gets more complicated with some other shows where you actually have to bring a thing called a video switcher in where you kind of line them up so that they actually do it consistently. Jared and Jensen were apt to say some of the best two for repeating their action without having to actually see um, themselves actually with, with the actor there. Right. Hey, you know so much. Eventually, you you directed an episode or more than one episode? I directed two episodes, one two. in season eight and one in season nine. Wow. We haven't talked about his nickname, Rob. You know, R- Kevin has a very specific nickname. Remind me? Parksopedia. Uh-huh, right, because he remembers everything. He remembers literally everything from yeah. the show. And I know that yeah. you could literally turn to him. I'm like, how do ghosts get through doorways? And then he will tell you which episode established something, but then down the road, which episode changed it. And this is the thing, Kevin. You remember the titles of the episode. It's not just in season two, we did this. You're like, 205, the devil wears a blue dress. They do this. I'm like, man, that is amazing. Like he remembered this one was called Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> exactly. Someone was, I remember on the la, in the last uh, the last season, someone was going, you'd, you'd throw the name of an episode and they'd try to remember what season it was from. Yeah, they try, try, they try playing that game a few times. Yeah, they're going to lose. I mean, they can't, nobody can stump <laughs> Kevin Parks, Parksopedia. It was a great resource because remember, before there was wiki anything, there was, mm-hmm. there was Parksopedia. Like, you That's know, right. back when you couldn't just quickly... Google it to see, oh, wow, right. which blade does what. Right. Kevin remembered everything, which was pretty fantastic. I like Parksopedia, but not Wikiparks, because it could be Wikiparks. Could- oh, Wikipedia didn't exist then when they started that name. Wow, that's true, Kevin. I didn't think about that. Yeah, no, there was that's no Wikipedia. Insane. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you've just compiled so much knowledge of the, of the show and you're just so good at what you do. And we were so lucky to have worked with you and to have had you on the show. Oh man. Hardest job on the set being a first assistant director, first AD. Hardest job on the set. You know, I have to also say though, I mean, it's, it's, it makes it easier when the, this cast came together basically through multiple seasons, but I don't know any other show where the cast get along so well from season one to season 15. Right. Yeah. We, you know, we didn't know what your character was, uh, Richard, until later after that you, you were, you were just kind of a trickster that came in to became an archangel. Right. And who knew that you ended up being God? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's pretty remarkable how things unfolded in this show. And yet the through line of it all was obviously Jared and Jensen, but I mean, you were there from episode one through the end and uh, man, you're great at your job. Rob and I both seen Absolutely. you do it. I've, yeah. I've, I've seen you do it as an actress. I've worked with you as a director and it's uh, you're really good at what you do, man. So, Kevin, that, that, you know, that's the other part of it, Kevin. Richard and I have, have, you know, we've been around guest starred in so many different shows and, and, and even since Supernatural and it's, it's, there's no Kevin Parks. There no. isn't. There just isn't. You see people do your job and you're like, man, no, you, you set a standard. You really did, Kev. I will also say this. When you go to another show, like any show in television, and ask them a supernatural trivia question, none of the ADs know it. I mean, it's only Kevin Parks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you go over to NCIS and go, in Supernatural season four, they don't know anything. I mean, it's, they don't know it. it's crazy. Know it. It's complete waste. <laughs> do they do they with their show, though? They, they, their shows don't last long enough. <laughs> like, no, nothing goes 15 years. Um 
dude, you're seriously the the best of the best. And uh, not only that, but a, a great guy and a great friend. And and it's great and to have you on here. Yeah, we hope you'll come back and uh, talk to us again. Yeah, anytime. Give it, you know, give a shout whenever you want to do this again. We will. Right. Maybe we'll have to do a segment where we're like, we're gonna have to go to the trivia time with uh, yeah, <laughs> Parksopedia. Exactly. <laughs> seriously, Kevin, thank you. I appreciate it so much. Excellent. No problem. Good, good to see you guys again too. You too. Hey there, this is Richard Spate, and I hope you're enjoying this episode, but we need to pull over for a second for some messages. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic i mean the question is what time for what if time is unlimited how do we use it sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends when people are faced with a choice if i've got this free time what do i do with it if this rings true for you maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it i've benefited from therapy for many years now and i talk openly about it i still go to therapy um about once a week and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am really and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire you get matched with a licensed therapist and then oh get this you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy that's what this is about so learn to make time for what makes you happy with better help visit betterhelp.com spntan today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com spntan hey guys it's rob So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means, free stuff. Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strife Force's most generous event to date. So don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
Thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. So great to see Kevin. So great to talk to him. Yeah, literally, the guy knows every detail about the show. Every piece of trivia or non-trivia you'd ever want to know about Supernatural is stored in that man's brain. It really is. And, and, you know, we really meant what we said. He's so good at what he does. And his mind works so quick, almost faster than his mouth can talk. He's like, where are you going to need this? You're going to need to put that in. And then we're going to want to come over to that. You know, and he speaks, you know, he doesn't speak like... What I love about him is that he, 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 you know, I'm very much an actor. I look at everything through the actor's lens and he's very much the opposite. He's looking at everyone, everything. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. thinking, do I have to, I have to cry in this scene? And he's thinking, well, it's raining outside. So we need to get that. And we're going to come and do shoot, shoot day for night. And then we'll come out. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, technical. He's got it. He's got a lot of spinning plates as part of his job yeah. for sure. Um, well, let's get uh, into our segments here. It's time for mythology. Mythology. All right, let's talk about the Colt. The Colt is an 1836 Texas Patterson, one of the first Colt revolvers ever made. This gun was originally built to be muzzle-loaded. What does that mean, Rich? Loaded from the front as opposed to into the uh, barrel. You Uh stuff it in the muzzle. You would, like, drop the, like, almost like the Civil War style. Yeah, like they used to do. Right. A Latin inscription, non timibo mala, is along the barrel of the gun. It means it's not time for an apple. No. Oh, sorry. It it means means. I will fear no evil and is taken from Psalms 23. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And they never really mentioned that. That's a great little piece of triv. Uh, The gun has a pentagram on the handle, which is often confused as a sign of devil worshiping. Right. But actually, the pentagram is a pagan symbol for protection which is why it is used for the supernatural anti-possession tattoos. Also, people don't know this, but the pineapple is a sign of welcoming. That's not, is it? Yeah. So if you have, if you go to a home, there's a pineapple flag, they're welcoming you to their home. Why? Why? I don't know. Carve that under the handle of the cult. Okay. That's, that's why you never killed any <laughs> vampires. This is the first time Sam and Dean and John have hunted together since Sam left for college. Back then. Aww. They were hunting for quail. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's uh, sweet, though. He left for college. And, Isn't that cute? You know, we missed him. Uh, the vampiric myths and stories of creatures with similar qualities have been around since ancient Greece. Modern takes on vampires typically have their roots in folklore from the 17th and 18th century Eastern Europe. And Bram Stoker's 1897 novel Dracula is arguably the quintessential vampire legend. It's different than his 1897 novel. I was going to say novella. I was going to say novella for some reason. But Dracula's not a novella. Also not mentioned in this uh, piece of trivia, Bat Boy, who was on the cover of many a uh, newspaper in the checkout aisle of the grocery store, is not a real boy. One similarity between vampire lore that the novel Dracula and Supernatural share is that sunlight doesn't kill or burn vampires. But it does slow them down because they know they need the vitamin D, so they try to soak in as many rays as they can. That's true. That's true. There's just a sucker for that sun. <laughs> sucker? Good one, Robbie. <laughs> See, I'm a genius and I didn't even know it. Hey, get ready for fun facts. Fun facts are so fun, I'm laughing already. Kripke didn't want to cover vampires. He felt Buffy the Vampire Slayer had covered that territory and he wanted to avoid that comparison. 
As it got later in the season and the show had defined itself, he loosened up on that a little bit. That plus the writers ran out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I thought it was uh, when I first, when the we, we see the priest at the beginning, I'm like, oh, he's a hunter. He's a vampire hunter. Because we really haven't had that into this, no. this uh, universe yet. No, and I like their whole take on the vampires, the whole like crazy teeth that are real yep. effed up teeth, you know, and they're, yep. they're real jacked up. Uh, the co-writer... Yeah. Catherine Humphreys uh, wanted to do vampires from the start. She's always been very, very pro-vampire. She started the series as John Scheibon's assistant and got the chance to write this episode with her boss. Turns out she is a child of the night and one of the undead. So this story was very near and dear to her heart. The combination to the safe in David Elkin's letters 38211 is a reference to the date of Mary Winchester's death, 11283. Oh my God, that's creepy. Yeah. Co-writer John Scheibon says the retractable teeth are based on sharks' multiple rows of retracting teeth. Also, his co-writer, Catherine Humphreys, is of the undead and knew a lot about vampire teeth and confirmed that that's how they really function. <laughs> She's coming for you, man. Catherine Humphreys is coming for you. Uh, I did notice that. It was very Jaws-like when the teeth came out. Yeah, they're trippy. Not your typical. But... Real, real grody. By the way, did you notice that uh, like, Kevin Parks was like, oh, vampire teeth, they changed over the years. They were, didn't say the same. And I'm like, well, that's, yeah, Kevin Parks, because, you know, vampires are, you know, they're not all the same. They're not cookie cutter. Like you and I have different teeth. Yeah, that's good for you. It's good for you for pointing that out because it needs I just, to be acknowledged. I just don't want to feel like- Not every vampire is the same. Yeah, let's not paint vampires as some weird sort yeah. of unholy corner. Yes, good. Thank you. The Vampire Union thanks you. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. All you vampires and non-vampires out there. Uh, you know, we share some of our favorite moments from the episodes on Instagram and Twitter. So we follow do. us and please... <laughs> yeah, of course we do. You're, somebody does it for you. So follow us and please share them. Get the word out there about this podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Rob Benedict and at Dick Spate, S-P-8, the number eight, J-R. Or on Instagram, that's the same for Rich. At <laughs> but you're Ro Benedict. At- <laughs> but I'm Ro Benedict on Instagram because I put it in in a hurry, and I was I was I was with you in Seattle, and I was like ah, I gotta get this Instagram, and you're kind of pointing, show me how to do it. We were, you took me to the very first Starbucks, and and literally I was inside the door like doing it real quick with my shaky hands, and I typed it out wrong. Is that right? But, that's the best yeah. the story of why you're it was Ro a, Benedict a on spelling- Instagram. Yeah, it's a spelling error. I f- forgot to put two Bs in there. Well, it's for by, those who are the tra- time- tracking him down, it's it's either Roe Benedict or Rob Benedict, whichever you prefer. That's right. That's right. Um, so we published that and uh, a lot of other cool stuff too. So yeah, yeah, you got to check out Rob. Rob's all over Instagram, man. He posts a bunch of crap. I, I, I'm Plus not so good a- at it, but you're you're like follow Rob Benedict. Like that's my and Story Mill Media. Those well, guys. You're Mr. You're- you're Mr. Twitter, so follow you on Twitter. You do. Yeah, that's fair. I tweet. I tweet more, and I and I read. Sometimes when people tweet at me, I'll read. Like you don't read. You have a blanket policy of I ain't reading jack crap. But I'll read a couple things. I don't read a lot. Maybe uh, yeah. reply, but that's not your bet. But you're yeah. you're you're good on yeah. the Instagram. I am. So listen, uh, we have a big announcement, Rich. I'd like you to make it for the people. Big uh, announcement time. Uh, okay, Trey Booty, make this sound sexy. Big announcement. The podcast now has its own dedicated social media handles on Twitter and Instagram. What? They are the same address and they are thusly at SPN then and now. Yes, I love it. We're out there. We're in the world. We mean something, Richard. We have arrived. So now you don't have to bear witness to all the other jibber jabber story mill puts out there on social you can follow interact and engage with us on twitter and instagram at spn then and now yeah man we'll be checking it out and getting back to you asap all right bye everybody 
This episode stars Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester and Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester. Guest stars feature Jeffrey Dean Morgan as John Winchester. Co-stars included Terrence Kelly as Daniel Elkins, Anne Ovenshaw as Kate, and Warren Christie as Luther. Dead Man's Blood was written by Catherine Humphreys and John Scheibon, directed by Tony Warmby. Dead Man's Chest is an idea that Rob came up with while interviewing Kevin Parks. Well... <laughs> And also maybe a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah, but you you were really just looking at a man's chest. Editing by Bruce Gorman. Music by Jay Gruska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of the episode featured some amazing music that we didn't hear because we listened to it on Netflix. Strange Face of Love by Tito and Tarantula. And House is a Rockin' by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Those were definitely not in the Netflix versions we watched. <laughs> no. The episode originally aired on April 10th, 2006. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Haida Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, buddy? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. You and your dumb notes. I mean, your great notes. You're an asshole. <laughs> At first, I thought that said when the series started, she was John Shibon. This, this is the first, is time. The first time. Wait a minute. I get to say the dumb next one. All right, ready for the outro? Yeah. Not only is philanthropic and sexy at the same time. You, you nailed it. Story Mill Media.